Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, November 30th, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, November 28th is 7070. That's 7070. This morning, A Vision for You presents Steps 5, 6, and 7, as simple as 1, 2, 3. AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. All of us have come to this program as a result of the constant frustration and constant defeat and pain we experienced when compulsive overeating. The problem is our personal powerlessness. The solution is for us to find a power other than ourselves or any other human power. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent that process of spiritual awakening. This morning, we welcome Scotty Kay to the line. Scotty, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York, keeps very busy intensively working with other compulsive overeaters and carrying the message that, indeed, there is a solution. And welcome to the line, Scotty Kay. Hey, Wesley, can you hear me okay? Yes. Yay. <laughs> I've had some phone issues, so <laughs> it's exciting for me to say that. <laughs> Excuse me. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Scott, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I, uh, thanks to the fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous and my higher power, who I choose to call God, as well as the 12 steps, which of course I found in uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I haven't found it necessary to compulsively overeat or act on my food behaviors, my red light food behaviors in um, 4,297 days today. And for that, I'm entirely grateful. And um, I, I've actually been floating around OA, um, more than floating around. I've been a, I've been a big part of OA for 20, 23 and a half years. Um, December already, my God, tomorrow's December already. So it's just insane the way that the time is just moving. And, um, you know, uh, I want to thank Leah as always to being so receptive and so open to, to different concepts and different fun things. And the concept for today is the idea of how steps five, six, and seven completely correlate to steps one, two, and three, except five, six, and seven are for our character defects and one, two, and three is for us to, of course, to uh, surrender, um, surrender self self propulsion and and uh, find something greater than us and and jump into that something and and jump onto this this recovery uh, spaceship of all things. I'm going to be using terminology like this a little bit today, so it's a little bit weird. It's a little bit different. Just bear with me. Um, let's see. I'm kind of all over the place. So let me just reel it in and give you a little bit of history on me. Um, I know a lot of you know me. I've done a couple of these workshops, and um, I love the response that I get. Uh, I love talking to just so many new people. I've now done a lot of the uh, Vision for You daily um, uh, book studies. Uh, it's a little tough for me to get up and going and doing and, and everything at 7 o'clock in the morning, and it's you know, it's just, it's it's a little tough unless I'm doing service. So, you know, you got to bear with me a little bit. I, I will be more of a part of it. And and as we move forward, I certainly direct all of my people there, all of my new people especially, because uh, that's an incredible way of learning our basic text. 
And, um, you know, for me, I came into OA, I'm 44 years old, and I came into OA when I was 21. So I've been here my entire adult life. I've been in OA longer than I haven't been in OA. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible the way that, you know, I found OA through um, just real briefly, my brother had, uh, I grew up with a brother and, and I, I, my highest weight in OA was 508 pounds. And, um, my weight coming into OA was, was less than that, but at the same time, it was still incredibly like over 450 or so. And, uh, I came, I, I was just ridiculously captured by the food and just let that, that disease of, of the mind, body, and spirit just overwhelm me in every way, shape, and form. And, uh, so my brother also suffered from this disease. He's developmentally disabled and, and he uh, went to, he, he, he developed more of the other side of the disease, more of the bulimia and anorexia, and he would always be super skinny and, and super sick. Um, and I was never sick, but I was morbidly obese. And so it was just, we were a pair and he ended up in a whole bunch of different rehabs and one of his rehabs finally gave him lists of OA meetings and, and after just a bunch of just God-inspired moments, I really, um, I found my way into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and then he kind of exited the rooms um, after I came in. So it was sort of like, you know, God gave, God put it through him to get me here, and then he's been healed. Uh, just I, the only thing I could say is he's been healed directly through God, because, you know, he doesn't act on his food behaviors today, and he's a normal human being in so many different ways. And it's so incredible to see. Um, but me, on the other hand, you know, I, I was a hardcore or am a hardcore addict. And, you know, I, I do like to say I do wake up from this disease every morning untreated. And I need to talk to God the second I wake up. I need to get on my knees. I need to meditate. I need to connect into this this incredible force that is that is higher power and God. <clears throat> And so coming into OA, I, I got involved with service real fast. I got involved with people real fast. I got involved with with just the growth of um, my personal well-being and character. Um, I got involved with the steps real fast. And I, I really just uh, looked at this whole thing as like, well, I don't know what, the, what I'm in for. I don't know what to expect, but these people have something, and I really want what they have. So I did it, and and um, you know I spent the first decade in program, like the first seven or eight years, um, running around doing a lot of service, both on the meeting level, the world service level, regional level, everything, as well as you know doing a lot of personal meetings and qualifications and sponsoring and and everything, and and found God and found the steps and found the big book really early, um, and then kind of uh, the world came up and, and, and really, I, I started exploring the world. I started exploring the world of money, the world of work, the world of women, the world of music, and so many, so many things. And I started making other things my higher power. I eventually lost um, my connection with God um, because I had all these other things as higher powers and, and then got it back um, in 2003, where it's my abstinence for today. So March 6th of 2003, so it's about 11 and a half years, a little bit more than actually it's 11 and three quarter years. I feel like I'm like an eight-year-old kid, you know, who says, oh, I'm eight and three quarters. So, but, uh, but whatever it is, it is. And, you know, the bottom line is, is that I'm abstinent today, a day at a time. 
um, and fit spiritual condition today. A day at a time, there isn't a day that goes by where I don't get up and get on my knees and talk to God. There isn't a night that goes by I don't I don't pray and, and get on my knees and say goodnight to God. The first words out of my mouth in the morning are good morning, God. The last words out of my mouth is goodnight, God, if I can help it. And, um, you know, and that makes no difference who's next to me. Um, that makes no difference what's around me. That makes no difference in anything because if I don't have God, then I don't have anything. And, you know, I, I know I talk, I'm going to be talking a lot about God because obviously in steps five, six, and seven, all three of those steps mention God. And also steps one, two, and three, steps two and three are all about finding something greater than ourselves. And, and you know, step three uses the word God. And of course, it, it is in um, the idea of a God personal to me, um, God as I understand him. So um, I, I don't want to go into like a long litany, but I came in running from God. Um, I grew up in in the Bronx and, and I was bullied and I was fat, white and Jewish and, and got out of the public school system, went into the religious school system and found that in order to fit in, I needed to fake being religious because my parents were secular. So I just learned all the negative aspects of the religion. I ignored all the positive aspects, but I, I learned and focused on all the negative aspects uh, just so I could fit in. And I really came into program running from God. I came into OA, just looked at those 12 steps and see steps two, three, five, six, seven, and 11 all either mention higher power, God, or him. And of course, step 12 talks about a spiritual awakening. And it, it really scared me because I just didn't think I can get this thing. And eventually I did find my way to understanding that God doesn't have to be the God of my religion, um, or it can be for some people, but you know, for me, it didn't. And, um, you know, for me today, the word God is three letters and one syllable. And it really just means something so much more than just a word that's so loaded. And, you know, I can, I can actually talk about that forever. And of course I did that a few months ago. I did a came to believe workshop where I talked all about finding God, getting God, giving God to other people, helping God with other people, loaning my higher power to other people when they need it. Um, and of course, you know, being carried by, by this incredible, um, sweet, loving, um, wonderful creator of, of the universe that, that just really carries me through. So another thing I'll just say out loud real fast right now is that if anything that I say differs than the big book, or if you feel um, opposed to anything I say, don't don't argue with me at the end. Don't call in and question and try to blow holes in it and whatever. Just just go and do what you do. Do what you have to do. There'll be another speaker next week, and go with the big book. You know, when in doubt, don't listen to me. Go with the big book. Um, all today is is just some ideas and some uh, reflections that I've been putting together for a while now, and. And, you know, some of it works, some of it might work and, and sit with you, some of it may not. I'm also going to be talking about AA history, and I'm going to be talking about the Oxford Movement, because that's where we get our steps from, and I'm going to do that in just a moment. And so, you know, lots of us are eggheads, and lots of us have been studying this stuff for years and years and years. And I've been studying it since the moment I walked into program. Um, I consider myself a historian um, in the, the uh, AA history. Um, and, you know, I'm not formally educated. I left school at a really young age. I'm not super, you know, I'm really embarrassed to share that out loud and on a recorded line, especially, but it's the truth. You know, you look at my resume, there's nothing in there about education. It's all about work experience. And of course, when you talk to me, it's a different story because I've been educated in the school of Overeaters Anonymous and the school of, of the big book. And uh, I learned that I have this incredible brain um, and that I've just never really used it because I just used it 
all, all I did was just stuff food into me and hurt myself and block myself off from God. So, you know, to all the eggheads out there, you know, if I say something that, that might be a year off, or if I talk about, you know, the making of the big book may not have been the end of 36, it might be the beginning of 37. And if I just, you know, say a word or something that may not be exactly right, don't jump on me, don't, don't, you know, don't kill me. Um, just know that I'm doing, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm just speaking uh, in, in general terms. So, you know, that's just little, uh, little stuff before him. So, you know, I've spent 23 years in OA just really trying to keep it green for myself. I mean, I live in a community that I'm grateful for. I'm in New York City. There's a lot of meetings in New York City. Not all of them are as strong as other meetings. Um, I tend to, you know, I'm a meeting snob. So if I'm going to choose to go to some meetings, it'll be, I go to my big book meeting every Friday night. Um, it's a, there is a solution meeting. And we read the big book every week. Um, we have two qualifiers. There's no sharing. Um, and all qualifications are recorded. Um, if you want that information, I can give it at the end of this talk. And uh, we have our website, and we, we have all of our qualifications on there. Um, it's pretty friggin' amazing to get some strong, strong recovered big book people um, sharing this stuff every week. Um, and in another meeting I go to every week for the most part is a beginner's meeting. It's a huge beginner's meeting where there's people sitting in there running around with 40 years of abstinence, as well as people walking in there as like, oh, this is, this is my very first meeting ever. So, you know, I love to be in the middle of all that because, you know, I'm right in the middle. I'm, I'm in program for over 20 something years. I'm over 11, almost 12 years of abstinence. Um, I'm certainly not a newcomer anymore, but I, I like to, to carry the message and to just be one of the group, you know? Um, let's see. So, you know, again, what can, what else can I tell you about me? I mean, I, I, Leia was right. I'm devoted to this program. Um, I, I carry this message wherever I go. Um, I can sit around and talk about the big book for hours and hours and hours. It's just something that I love and something that I just love to, to create and write and then just think of different parallels and different fun things, which is what stemmed today's talk. And, um, uh, let's see. So, yeah. So basically the, what I'm going to first talk about is, is where did we get these steps from? And, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of us know we, we, AA stems early, early, early on uh, from the Oxford movement. And then of course, before that we had the Washingtonians and we had a lot of other religious movements um, that weren't necessarily always on the up and up for the most part, but the Oxford movement, um, their, their main thrust was first century Christianity and they were all about just getting close to God, getting close to, to the idea that there, there's only one sin, and that sin is not believing in, in our Lord and Savior, et cetera, et cetera. And they had some, they, they created uh, some, some tenets, and they created some ideas about how to do that. And the first tenet, of course, was to, to just have dependence and guidance from this, from this Savior. And another tenant was to do an, a personal inventory. And then, of course, to confess that inventory, you know, confession, still a major part in the church today. But, you know, for the most part in the Oxford movement, the Oxford groups, they, they were all about confession and sharing, you know, getting rid of all this stuff. And then, of course, the next major component was restitution. So, like, those, those components right there were really, you know, what carried a lot of people through. And, you know, if we go to our big books and we look at He Sold Himself Short, which is a, a great grand sponsor of mine on, let's call it my father's side of the family, because I've, I've been sponsored a couple of ways. Um, uh, Earl Tree was a great, great grand sponsor of mine. Um, and uh, his story that he sold himself short throughout the middle of the story around page 262, 263, something like that. 
um, he mentions the six steps. And when he mentions those steps, they're, they're a little bit different than what the Oxford movement steps were. The steps he mentions, because, you know, he was brought through this toward the end of, of the first 100. He was part of the first 100. And he was brought through this by Bob and, and by uh, Clarence Snyder. And when he did this, he was brought through it, and they told him the six steps were complete deflation, dependence and guidance on, on higher power, moral inventory, confession, restitution, and work with other alcoholics. So how did we get from the Oxford tenants to these six steps? Well, there's a little something that I like to call the Big Bang. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the universe being created and everything, it's about the Big Bang. And if you go into the forward to the second edition, a few pages in, it talks about the spark that was to flare. Um, and it talks about how the, the stockbroker met with an with a Akron physician, et cetera, et cetera. I, I like to call that the Big Bang. And, you know, a lot of us know the story. I'm not going to start repeating the whole story. But the bottom line is, is that Bill kind of showed up there with, you know, up until then, he worked on the idea that, that, you know, he's an alcoholic and he can help other alcoholics. But his main goal was to shove God down all these people's throats. And I know that sounds a little pejorative. Just bear with me. Um, I, I get a little hopped up and excited and I use kind of words like that. But that's the bottom line of what he was doing. That's why it didn't work. You know, when you really look at it, um, again, my opinion, I'm going to stop saying my opinion, but just assume that it's my opinion. Um, and, uh, you know, feel free to call me afterwards. We can have a discussion. But the bottom line is that, you know, him and Abby got together in his kitchen, you know, page at the bottom of page eight, top of page nine, all throughout page nine, 10, 11, 12. You know, he's sitting there in his kitchen trying to figure out this God thing. And, and Abby, Abby's whole job was to get Bill to turn his will and his life over to Jesus Christ, not, not to turn his will and his life over to, to God as he understands him. You know, Abby's job was to get Bill into the Oxford movement and, and to get him to clean up his act. And by page 12, in the middle of page 12, where Abby says, well, my friend then, you know, I, I don't have the book in front of me, so just bear with me. Um, my friend then said, what then seemed a novel idea, why don't you choose your own conception of God? So Abby got so frustrated with Bill that Abby kind of went off script and was just like, dude, you got to find God in some way, shape, or form. If there's, if you can't understand, you know, God of the first century Christianity and, and, and everything that it's, and it, you know, that's there, then just choose a God of your own understanding. Let's just get moving with this. And at that point, it hit Bill. And of course, we know Bill went into rehab. He had his white light experience. His whole world started changing. He really just saw the, the, the rest of the forest, forgetting about the few ugly trees in the front. He walked through that forest and saw an incredible, incredible world um, that, that God has created. And, you know, thank God that everyone off script and thank God that, that Bill, you know, took this and, and ran with it because Bill already had Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and Bill knew that he could not take a drop. He had an allergy. So I'm not going to be talking a lot about the allergy today and a lot about the first step stuff. I, I will be analogizing how the first step and the fifth step combine, but... Um, Um, yeah, I'm down 300 pounds. Um, yeah, my life has, has changed in so many different ways. Yeah. Excuse my food me, Scott? Has... Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's better. You you were drifting out. This I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, hon. Yeah, I just moved my phone for a second, and, and I have a new phone, and I'm still getting used to it. I, I apologize. In any case, so yeah, um, just to say, you know, with the allergy, with the with the allergy of the body, and then and the the obsession of the mind. Yeah, my disease mostly falls in the obsession to the mind category, the obsession of the mind category. I am allergic to certain foods and food behaviors, so you know, I don't really, I'm not really going to be hitting on that today. You guys have questions about that? Call me privately. We'll talk. But for today's purposes, you know, we want to really focus on, on you know, the idea of, of our character defects and, and just freeing ourselves to be connected with God. So Bill, of course, went to Bob. Bill went to Akron with the idea that, you know, he, he saw that, that him shoving God down all these people's throats wasn't really working. But he knew that these people just couldn't drink. And if they were as alcoholic as he was, meaning they had the allergy, <clears throat> then he certainly knew that. So when he got to Akron, Bob already had been working this, this Oxford movement. So Bob really helped us with, with the Oxford movement piece of it. And because Bob said to Bill, like, wow, I've been already in the Oxford movement. And Bill's, you know, Bill was kind of new with all this. I don't even know if Bill had already done his inventory and all this other stuff um, at the point where he met Bob. I think he did, because um, I think, I'm not sure, it doesn't really say it in Bill's story, because on page 12, he talks about this and that, and then he talks about the rehab, and then, uh, not the rehab, but, you know, being cleared of alcohol, and then on page 13, he goes through all of his steps, and then, you know, 14, 15, and 16, he's really discussing how he carries this whole thing. He didn't really talk about how he met up with Bob. So, I'm sure it's in there, I just, I'm not thinking of it right now, but... Um, so, the whole Big Bang happened when Bob said to him, like, wow, you know, I... I I totally believe in this idea of confession. As a matter of fact, I just confessed that I was alcoholic to these people. You know, and Bill's like, I know. I've heard a lot about your alcoholism, and I'm not really here to talk about your alcoholism. I'm here to talk about my alcoholism. And I'm not really here to, to berate you and, and make you feel like shit for, for being an alcoholic. Um, what I am here for is to help me. And I'm in town. I just had this incredibly horrible business opportunity blow up in my face and you I was hooked up with you dude and they started talking and Bill started talking about his alcoholism of course Bob completely identified and then they start really discussing the ideas of of how the Oxford movement and those original steps of 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 cleaning house and confessing and 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 restituting and and doing this and that and and then they, they really came up with the idea together. It was like, wow, if this thing's really going to work, we need to share this with other people. Not the whole, you know, shove God down everybody's throat and like, we're not really just push God on everything. Because in the end, yeah, it's a God program. Six of our 12 steps mention God. You know, if you look at the original Oxford movement steps, only one of them mentions God. So the, the reason for that, um, the short version of it, don't, don't yell at me again. You know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, 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 giving short short versions of everything just so we can get through the, the meat and potatoes, pardon the expression of, of today's talk. Um, the short version of that is is that we carry those six steps every day. They carry those six steps every day. And every day they, they, they gave their will and they, they realized that of themselves they're nothing, that with God they're everything. And just like we do our steps 10 and 11 and we clean, we do our inventories every day and we make restitution where, where we harmed anyone and we continue this work. And of course, step 12 and in there's step six, um, you know, it's pretty amazing. So this whole big bang happened and those six steps were really created. And at that point, um, they had to make this book and without going into a whole other three hour long discussion, this book was created and they made those six steps into 12 steps. 
And, you know, because they really had to, they really sat down and looked at the idea of, well, we're going to be giving this, this stuff to these erstwhile alcoholics all over the world who are, who are just a mess. And we really have to give them no outs on anything. So a lot of times, you know, in these steps, it's kind of redundant. And if you notice, like there's certain steps that are just sort of placeholder steps really for other steps. Because if you look at the original steps, it just said moral inventory. You know, and for our purposes today, the word moral, it isn't really implying your character. It's all of the word moral in 1939 means that it's true. So it's a true inventory. You know, and in the fourth step, it talks about making a searching and fearless moral inventory. You know, they use big words just to get people, you know, use all the adjectives and get people excited about doing it. Um, you know, in, in the original piece of, of the Oxford Movement Steps, it says confession. You know, in step five, it's admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature. You know, and they go into more words. You get what I'm saying. So he, he really just pulled out every loophole he possibly could find. Um, the original 12 steps that he wrote, and of course the original How It Works uh, first few pages of how it works was was completely rewritten by the the membership as a whole at the time, like eighty ninety people, um, and uh, and it was softened up from what it was. I'm probably going to be focusing on the original writing of those steps, but for the purposes of today. But uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of like a lot of the history and a lot of like how everything came to be. And what I wanted to do today also was talk a little bit about um, the the fourth dimension of existence. You guys know, um, if you know me, you know that I, I live in the fourth dimension. We all, you know, us recovered compulsive eaters, um, and we we live in this fourth dimension of existence. And where are the other dimensions? There's a lot of writings over the years of what the fourth dimension is, and and what this is, and what that is, and there's all sorts of uh, um, Buddhist uh, ideas of it and all sorts of, of uh, Albert Einstein had an idea of it, but I don't know. The way Bill describes it on page eight, you know, is to know happiness, usefulness, um, and a way of living that's just more wonderful as time passes. That's that's all the adjectives I need. And it's an incredible promise. But how do we get to that fourth dimension? Well, there's three other dimensions in order to get to the fourth one. And, you know, I'm a big Joe and Charlie guy also, so Joe and Charlie talk about this a lot. And the first dimension is the spiritual dimension, where we uh, look at steps one, two, and three, where I can't, you know, I come to this thing and I'm powerless and I'm, I'm unmanageable when it comes to me and my life and my food and everything about it. And the second step is believing that this power greater than me. Um, for first of all, I had to believe that I was insane. And then I had to believe that this power greater than me that can restore the sanity that I'm missing. And then, of course, step three is the idea of making that decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of this higher power. And it doesn't say to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. It talks about making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. You know, these words are written for a reason. So I like to use all of them. And let's see. So, and that's the first dimension. That's the God dimension. That's the dimension we really need to connect with in order to get the rest of the stuff done, right? Okay, if, that, if, if you buy into that, then you'll certainly buy into the next dimension is the me dimension, the, the emotional slash mental dimension. And steps four, five, six, and seven are in that dimension, whereas, of course, in step four, we do that moral inventory, that true inventory, and, and then we share it with, with another person, and in doing so, you know, give it to God and ourselves. 
And in step six, we really become aware and, and close with our character defects and understanding them and understanding how they're killing us. And if they're killing us, then we want to be free of them. And in step seven, we humbly offer them to God. You know, the, the original writing of step seven was humbly on our knees, asked him to remove our shortcomings, holding nothing back. So, I mean, that's a pretty powerful way of doing that and saying that. And, of course, it was just changed to what it is today. But whatever. Um, and then, of course, it opens up the door to the third dimension, which is the physical dimension. And in, and in the physical dimension, it's not just talking about the healing that our bodies do and the weight loss and the weight gain. And depending on, on who we are, <laughs> where we are. But it's really talking about the physical dimension as in the outer universe and who we touch and who we harm. And in steps eight and nine gives me an opportunity to go and make amends to clean it up. And of course, you know, the original step in the Oxford movement called it restitution. And then they use lots of words in steps eight and nine that kind of just mean restitution and cleaning all this stuff up. Um, and then once we do that and we're free, you know, if we, if we could become one with our, with God and then we become one with ourselves and we become one with others, then we can become one with God in the sense that, that we're in that fourth dimension where our lives just start growing exponentially. So today's talk, reeling it back in, is just an, uh, an idea of how steps five, six, and seven for our character defects are just like steps one, two, and three. So just like I said, with one, two, and three, we surrender to God. Um, we surrender, we find God, and then we offer ourselves to God, and we put it out there. In steps five, six, and seven, which all, by the way, happen to mention God, you know, a little, little side fact there. <laughs> we can't really do steps five, six, and seven without one, two, and three, because if we didn't find God in the first place, how are we going to actually know what's blocking us from him, right? So with steps five, six, and seven, um, making that that you know after we have this list of of this this these things that are blocking us from God, we become one with it, we admit it out loud we we become um just open and available and and ask god and we 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 get closer to God and then we have God just uh we become ready to have these things just removed from us, and then of course we ask God to do that so what is the power of? <clears throat> well, the best way I can explain it is um Let's let's give a weird example. My throat's a little scratchy today, and I apologize. So, I have a sponsor who uh, is older, and I have lots of older relatives. And you know, I've been floating around program for a long time, and I've always liked to help a lot of people. And uh, part of my history is that I worked for America Online, or as we all know it as AOL today. And AOL is nothing to what it was. And if you remember back, if some of you are 30, you know, and more, um, and remember back to those in the 90s, where AOL was kind of like one of the only games in town when it came to the internet, because there was no high speed, there was very little high speed, and it was all about dialing into the AOL server and doing this and doing that. I was an employee of AOL. I was a volunteer at first, and then I became an employee. And um, I would, my job basically was to like, um, help people build community online, do this and do that. And of course, in my personal life, my job was to, uh, you know, share with people and show people that the internet is not such a scary place. Well, the way I explained it to them was that if the internet, I look at the internet as space, 
you know, you go up, you go into space, you know, see lots of movies about space. You got Star Wars and Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and, and even, you know, movies recently like Gravity that, that talks about the silence and the misery of, of just being alone in space and how scary it could be. And, um, but, you know, space could be a scary place, but if you have a really good spaceship, you're in good shape. So your browser, um, or back in the 90s, it was the AOL client that really pushed you through and got you into and got you into the web and the internet. But our browsers are the thing that, that carry us through, that, that, that walk us through and, and, and bring us from one place to another. So our browsers are the spaceship. And with that spaceship, we can go from website to website to website and really just be able to, to land here and there and there and there in a safe environment, right? Right, okay. So <clears throat> let's move forward and let's look at this as if the disease is space. It's quiet. It's scary. Um, it's something that kills us, right? I, I don't think I'm, I'm wrong here. If we go into this disease unprotected, we will eventually die. You know, um, we're not shoving alcohol into our bodies or, or shoving narcotics into our bodies to the point where we, we can die a lot faster. We have a slow, disgusting, horrible disease in the sense that we feel like it's okay because the food is so legally and and everybody else is eating it. And of course, Thanksgiving was just a couple of days ago and everybody's gorging themselves on amateur night and, you know, doing whatever they're doing and stuff, stuffing their face. And, but you know what, the next day they're not going to do that again, or for the next year, they're probably not going to do that again. Well, maybe Christmas, but other than that, they're not really going to do that again. Whereas we gorge ourselves and hurt ourselves. And then of course the next day we wake up remorseful and everything. And by the next night, for me at least, I was gorging myself again because I couldn't live with myself for gorging myself the previous day. Um, and then of course all my, my life and everything would just hit me like, like a ton of bricks and I would just continue to hurt myself with food. So if the disease is space, then, and of course in space, we're propelled by our character defects in that space. Because up until I walked into program, I was kind of propelling my own life, right? Um, you know, when the second step, we, we find this power greater than ourselves. You know, I knew that that power couldn't be Scott. And if that power couldn't be Scott, then it needed to be something greater than Scott. So I realized that Scott, you know, is my lower power and that God is my higher power. Um, I apologize, hit a button. I'm, I'm again, it's a new phone. In any case, so, all right. If I'm self-propelled by my character defects and my character defects were, were pushing me into this world and I was in this space, which is this disease, then I needed a spaceship that was really going to help me and, and really going to save me because I needed to get from this universe through this black, disgusting, like this disgusting muck to get to the other side to where God's universe is. And again, I'm speaking esoterically. I'm speaking in, in hieroglyphics in some ways, um, but just kind of kind of work with me because you know I look at the twelve steps as sort of a mountain, and that mountain is there, and we want to climb that mountain. And let's say that mountain is a twelve thousand foot mountain. We need to climb that mountain, get over to the top, and live on the other side. You know, so my old joke is like, why would you hire a sponsor who's only gone five thousand feet? You know, oh, my sponsor's done his fourth step and then they're doing, you know, he's doing his fifth step right now. I'm like, why hire somebody who's only gone 5,000 feet? You know, it, I want to hire somebody who's living on the other side of that mountain who's going to take me over. So, you know, it's sort of the same concept, except I'm looking at this as space. Well, our fourth step inventory is a spaceship. 
that's really, really going to push me and propel me through to this other side. And um, with the fourth step inventory, what the fourth step inventory is going to do is it's going to break through all the disease and it's going to break through everything and it's going to, it's going to help me get to God so I can let him run the show. Because if you remember, in steps two, we came to believe that this power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And in step three, we decided to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to this God. Now, all my will is is my thoughts, and my life is my actions. So if I'm willing to turn my thoughts and my actions, then I'm ready to build this spaceship that's going to really propel me to, to be one with God. And guess what? My inventory is that spaceship. My inventory, in, in the easiest terms possible, is like me walking into my closet, and my inventory is me going, okay, seven pairs of pants, 14 dress shirts, 54 ties, uh, 13 uh, pairs of underwear, 12 t-shirts, two pairs of shoes. I'm not pulling each item out of my closet like, all right, um, this shirt that I wore in like 1993 in a job interview, and, and I didn't get the job, and the guy told me I was fat, and uh, uh, no. Step four is just the inventory. That's all it says. It's to make an inventory, a moral inventory, a truthful inventory. So not only am I looking at all these things in my closet, I'm also looking at the top of my closet where I have stuff stored in there for years and years and years. And I'm looking at the back of the closet where I have been unwilling to take a flashlight and really look at all the stuff that's back there that's, you know, that's just in, in reality hurting me because I could be putting a lot of other wonderful things in that closet. And, of course, we all know that that closet is our minds. And if we clear away all these things, they're blocking us from God. And, in, and if we do an inventory of all these wonderful things and all these not so wonderful things that are in our mindscape through the idea of resentments and fears and sexual harms and harms to others, then we can be free in the sense that it's all inventory, it's all done, everything is ready to roll, and I'm ready to go do something about this. So um, with that, you know, I... I spent a lifetime letting food have its way with me. So what I've also done is spent a lifetime letting my defects do the same. So, you know, not only when I walked into OA, not only was I over 450, 460 pounds, and then, of course, after relapse, I was 508 pounds. And then, you know, forget about all the weight and all the power that food had over me. I was a friggin' mess. And... I walked into program and I had no life. I, I literally have never kissed a girl, never walked in a date, never held the hands of a woman or a girl. Of course, I'm 21. I'm a kid. Um, I never held a job for more than two or three months at a time. Never made more than minimum wage, which at the time was 3.35 an hour here in New York. Um, I, I had never. I can call. I can maybe find three people in in my Rolodex. Uh, you know, sorry to use an old expression, but it was the 80s and 90s. Um, I, three people in my phone, in my phone book that I can call and say, what's up to, you know, and all these things were, were basically me acting on the major, the one major character defect that blocked me from God. And that was compulsive eating. But besides that major character defect that was blocking me from God, I also had all these other character defects in the sense that I put, I, I only had two or three or four friends because any other people that liked me, I pushed them away from me because if you liked me, then what kind of asshole are you to like me? Because I hated me. You know, forget about low self-esteem. I had no self-esteem when I came into program. So when I really looked at my step five 
And I really looked at the idea of, okay, all right, I got this, I got this personal inventory. You know, we opened up page uh, 72, 73, 74, 75 in the big book. Um, you've got this personal inventory. What are we going to do with it? Well, um, I realized that when I share this inventory, I might be sharing it with another human being, but I'm really talking to God. You know, just like in my 11-step inventory at night, it's really written to God. It's not really written to, to the sponsor who I'm sending it to or the other people who I'm sharing it with um, or person. Um, so I really look at the, the character defects that I had upon walking into program. Those, those character defects were the ones that, that were just killing me. I spent a lifetime doing those to, to sort of protect myself uh, of, of all the fear and keep myself away from, from other people, other places. Okay. So another way one in five are connected in a major sense is when I shared my inventory and what's in the closet, quote unquote. Um, it was very, very similar to me becoming very clear with my food and realizing that, yeah, I, I don't just eat candy bars. I eat a lot of candy bars. Um, I do mention foods, so I'm sorry. Um, you can fast forward a little bit, but um, I do, you know, I do have certain foods. I mean, I have candy bars or my kryptonite, hostess fruit pies, you know, things like that, crispy, crunchy, uh, a doughy kind of sugary things. Um, you know, things I like to call recreational sugars. Um, I, I look at it as like, those are the things that, that when put into practice, when I put into my body and I have in my way, I, I really become harmful. Also things that are frozen and things that I can crunch on and, and, and things like that, because that just triggers all sorts of other behaviors for me. So when I become clean with my character defects and all the stuff that's in my inventory and it's in the back of my closet, it's very, very similar to me coming clean with my food. And me just saying that, you know what, I can't safely eat a hostess fruit pie today without wanting another 17 of them. I can't safely um, open up my refrigerator and eat something and then close it without wanting to go back and do it again five minutes later or seven minutes later or stand in front of the refrigerator for an hour trying to figure out what I'm going to eat. You know, the food hasn't changed. I can open up the door of my refrigerator 19 times. It's the same stuff that's there. You know, my, my, my bread and, and my, my canned stuff and my this and my that and my bottle of this and my, my packet of that, nothing has changed. Nothing has jumped shelves on me. <laughs> Why do I have to keep doing that? That's a disease for me. Um, let's see. Um, I thought I was alone in my food, and I didn't think anybody else ate out of the garbage cans. I didn't think anybody else stole food off of other people's plates when they weren't looking. I didn't think anybody else, well, I knew people stole food, but um, I didn't think anybody else did it to the point where I did it. And I didn't think anybody else stole money from people just so they can buy food. Like, I didn't steal money to go to movies and go, you know, do this and do that. I, I stole money so I can go and get a whole bunch of, of candy bars and also fruit pies and Duncan Hines and, and all sorts of other shit that I put into my body to really hurt myself. Well, same thing with character defects. I didn't think anybody, you know, was as egotistical as I was. And I didn't know I was so egotistical because I needed to build a spaceship in order to help me find it. But by the time I had the spaceship going in my inventory, I, I was then able to really go into space safe and protected and really look at the idea of how these things are killing me, how these character defects were killing me, how my, my lack of humility, how my lustfulness, how my greed, how my slothfulness, um, how, how my anger was just killing me. 
And I didn't think anybody else had these things to the extent that I did, because I thought that I was just a sick, suffering, disgusting person who was just meant to do nothing but sit around and binge all day. So when I took my fifth step and and I really gave God these character, became up close and personal with my character defects in understanding what the things I did in my inventory, that's when stuff started changing. So that's when I, I really looked at steps two and step six. You know, let's look at some of the parallels of step two and step six. Well, in step two, I had to come to believe that I was insane when it came to compulsive eating, right? You know, I had to come to believe that every Sunday night when I opened up the refrigerator and ate everything that moved and it was 10 minutes to midnight, I would clean out all the cupboards and I would eat everything and I would do this and that and then jump right into bed because it was midnight and I was dieting. And then the next morning I would wake up and then go and then, and then get some box of sugared cereal and pour it, pour some milk in it and, and eat it. And of course read the box because you know, what else was I going to do? Um, and I looked at the box and it would say a complete part of this nutritious breakfast. And I would have a picture of milk and juice and eggs and toast. And I'm like, well, I'm not having milk and juice and eggs and toast. And let me just have another bowl. And by the time I was done, the allergy just took off. All that sugar was in me. And I was just done. And of course, I screwed up my diet. I effed up. I might as well start next week. Well, guess what? We're in Overeaters Anonymous. Anonymous. This is a 12-step program. This is not a diet and calories club. So when I screw, when I, God forbid, screw up with food, 9.15 in the morning, you can start. I don't care what you ate before this phone call. I don't care what you're eating right now during this phone call. I don't care what you did in the bathroom before this phone call. You can be absent right now, right now, for the rest of your life. November 30th, 9.15 or 9.16, whatever it is right now, you can be absent for the rest of your life this very minute. I don't care what you ate this morning. I don't care what you did this morning. I don't care if you screwed up Sunday and you want to start your diet tomorrow. That's diet bullshit mentality. That's Weight Watcher stuff. Guess what? I'm not a Weight Watcher. I'm a compulsive eater. And today I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in the sense that the noise of food has been diminished. So with the insanity, once I believed in the insanity of this disease, and I knew that, that the next thing for me to believe was a something that was greater than me that was going to restore the sanity. In step six, I had to come to believe that these defects were killing me. And I had to come to believe that only God was the only chance I had to be free. And I wasn't able to do this without steps, you know, three, four, and five right in the middle of all that. But let's really look at the parallels of it. In step six, I relied on God for the willingness not to want to harm myself with, with the character defects that were blocking me from him. In step two, I had to use that willingness to believe that, that the same God that all of you guys talked about and all of you guys had been restored to sanity with, that was going to do the same for me. So I had to have belief that, you know, in step two, I had, to ha I had this belief that, that maybe this God that, that really worked for you can possibly work for me. And, you know, the big book tells me it was, I only need to be willing to believe. Uh, I didn't even really even have to believe. I, ha I only had to be willing to believe in order for this thing to possibly work. Well, in step six, I have to be willing to believe that these character defects are, when put into practice, blocking me from God. And when I'm blocked from God, guess what? The show's over. I'm done. Um, it, sooner than later, I will be restless, irritable, discontented. I will walk down the street. I will find, you know, 17 pies of pizza or some hostess this or some other bullshit and come back to my house and just gorge myself and hurt myself. Um, okay, here's another interesting little tidbit here. I want to just give a shout out real quick. Um, I woke up this morning, got on my knees, talked to God. 
this is this morning. This is today. Um, I started writing on this stuff. I did a lot of writing on this. I prepared. This isn't just something I'm just coming off the top of my head. Um, I prepared for this a little bit. And I realized, oh, my God, I was missing a major parallel in step two and six. I wanted to have at least three. And I said, oh, my God, what do I do? What do I do? I, I called a newer friend, this person who's just, you know, become a friend over the last month or so. Um, and I just said, you know, and I've also taken on sort of a big book mentor role for this person. Not that they really need it because they're just brilliant with this stuff. And but they've just been sort of picking my brains. And, and, and I got an opportunity to do that this morning. And I just said to her, I was like, oh, my God, I need help. Um, I woke up and I don't have an, a, a two and six concept. And she says, all right, give me a minute. And then she texted me these exact words. She said, in step two, our insanity is caused by the actions of our character defects. In step six, we identify what is causing this insanity. Both steps two and six are preparing us for God to do the things we can't do ourselves. Holy smokes, dude. <laughs> I can write all day long and not come up with that stuff. Thank you. Um, and it's so incredible because step two and step six are really preparation steps. You know, step two is really getting me to the idea of understanding the solution. You know, it gives me three chapters of the big book. Um, it gives me a lot of other information. And then step six really prepares me to get these character assets and character defects and then just get them ready to give to God. So that brings us to steps three and step seven. Well, uh, some people say to me, well, Scott, the word amen is used after the seven-step prayer on page 76. Why isn't it used on page 63 with the third-step prayer? And I've done a lot of research. I've done a lot of stuff. And what I've ended up coming up with is the idea and the concept of, well, with step three, you know, we're taking step three. We are making a decision to turn our will and our lives over to God. And we then take that decision. We make a leap of faith and go do these other steps. We build our spaceship. We take our spaceship into the, the scary world of our character defects and really keep us safe and protected while we're going through it. And we end up on the other side and we end up in step seven back to God. Okay. All right. You can agree with me on that. So in step three, we're with God and in step seven, we're with God, right? We're praying in both. So in step three, we're opening up the books and, and then we open up the idea of, all right, God, this is your show. I'm going to let you run this thing. And by the time we get to step seven, we let God run this thing. And we really became fully aware of all the things blocking us from God. We've also become fully aware of all the things bringing us closer to God. And then we pray again. And in doing that prayer, we say amen. And there's no other amens in the first 164 pages, which is a really interesting thing. But just go with me on that one. So the other thing is in step three, I make a decision to go with this God that I come up with, that I'm going to let this God thing, you know, I'm going to go with this God thing that I've discovered and, and, and realized that, that I'm sick and I'll let this God restore me to sanity. Um, I'll let him go do it. I'll let him run the show for today. In step seven, God's already running the show. And I finally am ready for him to take away everything blocking me from him and, and uh, just prepare me for the rest of, of, the, to, to basically enter the universe as a changed man, as a recovered human being. Um, you know, the original writing of step seven, as we know, is humbly on our knees. Um, we gave our, humbly on our knees, ask him to remove our shortcomings, holding nothing back. That same concept was, was me making that decision to let God run the show back in step three. I was on my knees. 
You know, I mean, it, they took out the words humbly on our knees because, again, that's, that's sort of a religious thinking, and a lot of religious people do that. I tend to do that. I'm not religious these days, but I like to do it. It's a nice humbling posture. But, uh, you know, in step seven, it really talks about just holding nothing back. And in step three, I realized that if I was going to hold anything back, then I was going to keep it. And that means I'm really running the show because if I'm holding nothing back, I'm not running the show. I'm letting God do it. It's like taking that last finger off the wheel, as uh, um, Carrie Underwood said in her beautiful song. So, you know, um, let's see. In step three, we make a decision and we take action. Just like in step seven, we make a decision and to humbly offer our defects. So it's both. It's it's really decisions on both ends because we we take action in step three by by giving it to God by by making that decision. And moving forward, and in step seven, we're making that decision, and we're moving into the realm of giving God everything and letting God take these defects that are blocking me from God. So, in the end, we have the idea that the spaceship now has me in a new universe. By the time I've gotten through step seven, I can finally see the light of God's abundant and infinite love and power. So, the only thing left for me to do is to go into that third dimension, go. Um, and, and write all these wrongs. And if I've done steps one through seven correctly, or at least uh, honestly, then I'm ready to, to really understand the world of, of people. And I'm really ready to, to go and, and make amends to these people and go and, and just live my life according to the way that God sees fit, meaning that I need to clean up the wreckage of all the stuff I've done with people and then be able to live free. Because the only way I'm going to do this thing without ever compulsively overeating again, just like I asked you guys to do at 9.15 this morning, I said, you know, you can, you can do it. You can stop. You don't ever have to compulsively overeat again. Yeah, of course, there's some work to do. <laughs> and there's going to be some, uncom- uh, some discomfort. But at the same time, it's possible. Um, and what that does is God's universe really just brings us into that fourth dimension of what we talked about earlier. So that said, I know I've talked a lot. I'm looking forward to your questions. I'm kind of nervous about your questions, so just bear with me. Be be nice, and uh, and you know today I I uh, I'm just so so friggin' grateful to be able to do this stuff, to have a space to do this stuff, to to have just the infinite love that comes back to me from putting all these things into the universe to help other people and to do all these these just wonderful wonderful things that uh, I just was a complete mess upon doing 23 and a half years ago. I just couldn't ever see myself making a life out of anything. And today I have an incredible world and you're all part of it. So thank you for letting me share. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Scotty, for sharing your fascinating insights and personal experience with us this morning. We thank you for your time and your energy. Contact information for Scotty will be given at the conclusion of this recording. So hold on for that. And now we're going to open the floor for any questions you might have for Scotty this morning. You can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, please. Hi, this is Andy. Can I go? Hello? Uh, did I – one moment. Let me catch these names. Did I hear Deb W? What did – Becca W. Becca W. Who else did I hear? Jean. Jean. Okay, let's start with Becca, and then we'll go to Jean. Thanks. Thanks so much, Leah, for your service um, every Sunday, really. And Scotty, oh, my God, 
it's clear that um, God is clearly running through you. Um, this presentation uh, with you and God together was really brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, it was wonderful. So my question is, um, you talked about the faith it takes uh, to do steps three and seven. And for the newcomer, I was wondering if you could just kind of pull back a little bit more and talk as a whole um, to give inspiration to those who maybe haven't started the steps, what kind of faith it takes to really do this whole program and rocket themselves into that fourth dimension. Thanks so much. Thanks, Becca. Great question. Um, let's see. So to reel it back in a little bit, you know, we did touch on steps one, two, and three, and only in the, in the sense of how they combine with five, six, and seven. But the bottom line is, is that it really doesn't require any faith right away. Um, for me, and again, this is my opinion, the, the idea of all the second step talks about is belief. And if I'm powerless over food, and I discover that in my first step, and we, we read about that in steps in the doctor's opinion and Bill's story, and then I discover that with myself I'm nothing, and that I need something that's greater than me to restore me to this insanity that I've developed over these years. So we discover that, and of course, um, there's a solution more about others. I'm sorry, more about alcoholism. And uh, I'm all mixed up this morning. I'm sorry. Let me slow down. So the idea of uh, there is a solution more about alcoholism and we agnostics. So all the second step is asking us to do is have belief that maybe this thing can, can work. What's going to propel us forward is by us buying into step one and step two and propelling ourselves forward with steps three through nine and getting into that program of action. And, you know, for the newcomers, all you got to do today is just admit powerlessness and admit Complete defeat. That's all the Oxford movement. You know, when, when Bill and Bob got together and they, they had to rename some stuff, they changed some of the ideas of the Oxford movement and changed it into the idea of complete defeat. And they named it complete defeat in the sense of that I can't do this thing. I, left to my own devices, I'm a sick and suffering addict. So my own devices are not enough. I need to have something else in me that, that's going to control the, the show. And that's step two. And in doing so, we take action with steps three through nine. So that's, that's really the best way I can reel it in a little bit. Um, and uh, I hope I answered the question. Thank you, Becca. Jean, your turn. It's Hello, Scott. Um, uh, Adrian. Well, first of all, I, 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 picked up this phone and I get on a little bit late and um, you were in a spaceship. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm half awake. What the hell is this, right? Because I feel like I've been in a spaceship all my life. I'm still a little spacey, but um, I have been abstinent a lot of years. I'm, a, I'm probably a lot older than you because I didn't get here until I was 50. But um, I started crying by the time you were through and it's like... Um, because um, it brought up just so many feelings for me, and uh, and my top weight was two eighty, and uh, you know this is a family disease. I have families and you know family members. I have grandchildren. They don't want what I have, and um, and uh, it's not that. They couldn't use it that they didn't run it, and I love them anyway. So I guess my question is, what? What was that 
final choice that finally jammed you into Staten and Stan? Um, thank you so much for, for making me laugh this morning. Yeah, the spaceship thing was a little was a little weird. Um, and it's it, I, I guarantee everybody it's not in correlation to the new Star Wars trailer that just came out. Oh, Although I'm excited Thank you. I'm so excited about the new Star Wars thing that's coming, but in any case, it had nothing to do with that. Um, I've been working on this concept for years. I've been explaining the internet to people for years in regards to a spaceship in space. Blah blah blah. I just figured it would, I would bring these two together and it would be kind of fun. Um, in any case, the, what got me when I first came in was that the fact that I had nothing and I saw something special in my brother, the way that it hit him when he went to his first OA meeting and then I read the Q&A pamphlets and I saw what it did to my aunt who was an, it was an alcoholic synonymous and, and I just saw some things. When I was in relapse and was a 508-pound big book expert because, you know, I've been studying the big book a long time. I know the book backwards, forwards, and upside down. And, uh, you know, it didn't do me a lot good in a 500-pound body. But what got me is when my sponsor finally hit me with, you know, when the heck are you going to get down on your knees, talk to God, and stop eating? And something, some way, somehow just hit me to the point of, you know what? The way I'm doing it is just not working. I'm just going to make it happen. I got on my knees. I said the third-step prayer. Um and, you know, a lot of other stuff went down around it. I don't want to take a lot of time, but it just it was a matter of being sick and tired of being, you know, being sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, um, you know, my sponsor has a thing that says that uh, um, we don't know what we don't know till we don't know that we don't know. But once we know, what are we going to do about it? And what I was ready to do about it was to take all the lessons and all the learning and all the everything and really make this happen. And the other thing is it, it's repeated in the big book over and over and over again, especially in, in how it works and into action, that faith without works is dead. I also had a look at the idea of works without faith is dead because I had all the works, you know, I had all the knowledge, but I didn't have the faith. So once I decided to get my faith back and really touch on God and really tap back into what Becca just mentioned, about me and God, you know, flowing together. Yeah, we do. We flow together. It's it's amazing. The food doesn't flow through me anymore. God flows through me. So that's that's really the best answer I can give. Um, I'm going to give my contact information at the end. Um, Leia will give it out. And I'm staying here till 11 o'clock. So if you guys will have questions and stuff that you don't want recorded, I think the recording is going to stop in about a half hour or so. But I'll I'll be around afterwards for a little while to answer more questions, and we can chit chat. So thanks. Thank you, Jean. Who else has a question for Scotty this morning? Tar one to unmute. This is Tony. Tony, anyone else? Okay, all okay. minds are quiet for the moment. Tony, go ahead. Hey, uh, I'm, uh, I'm Tony, a uh, compulsive overeater from South Carolina. And I heard you say uh, more than once, if no matter what you just ate, you can be abstinent for the rest of your life. And I've had a couple of experienced people with a vision for you who have told me um, that until you work through step nine and begin living 10, 11, and 12, you may not be able to be abstinent. You may have... You'll you'll have the cravings, and that sometimes you'll 
fall off the wagon. Uh, I just wondered how you can be abstinent for the rest of your life. Um, thank you, Tony. Um, the, they're right. Go with those people. <laughs> I, I was oh. paraphrasing, and I was just, you know, I don't mean to give you the bad news, but uh, the, the news, the, the bottom line is that, yeah, we could be absent. I said it at 9.15. We could be absent today for the rest of our lives. But guess what? I also said, if you heard, I snuck it in there that there's a lot of work to be done. And the work yeah, is, step, is our 12 steps. You know, if you're at step one or at step two or floating around this and that, guess what? There's an inventory to be made. There's sharing of, uh, there's a confession that needs to be made. There's character defects that need to be discovered and, and explored and, and purged, pardon the expression. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's, there's restitution to be made and there's, there's faith and dependence on God in steps 10, 11, and 12. And there's a whole big book to be read about in the first 103 pages plus the doctor's opinion and all the forwards. So in going through all this stuff, um, yeah. I could be absent for the rest of my life, but I got to do some work. So, but guess what? If I've just eaten something, if I'm eating something and the craving is killing me, there's going to be a time where I'm going to have to be a little uncomfortable. You know, I, I've, I've never been to a rehab, but I can imagine that in a rehab, guess what? There's no binge foods in the rehab. So lots of people binge and do stuff on the way to the rehab or, or have done, you know, acting on their bulimia and their anorexia or whatever on the way to the rehab. And once they get to the rehab, it stopped. And there's tools in that rehab to help them stop and do and, and change and all the behaviors and everything around it. So today, since all of us don't have the benefit of going to a place that's going to pull the shotgun over our heads and make us not compulsively overeat or eat the hostess fruit pie again after we've eaten 19 of them this morning, guess what? You're going to, be a, you're going to need to be a little uncomfortable and get through your day, get through your tomorrow, which is even worse than today, I believe. Second day is always worse than the first day. Um, and get through the rest of this week, absolutely, um, in that be uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, that's when God will have a chance to come in and heal you. Um, just an opinion and just really the, the best way I can explain it, because um, it's just a matter of being uncomfortable at first. I, I discovered that God is way more interested in my character than my comfort. And if I'm eating something or if I'm doing something that's going to hurt me, then I need to stop and be uncomfortable for a little while. So that's, that's really the best answer, Tony. But you can you can always reach out to me afterwards and we can have a talk about it. Who's Thank next? You. Thanks, Tony. Hi, this is Deborah. I'd like to ask a question. Deborah, anybody else like to ask a question? Star one to unmute. Yeah, this is Bill. I, I, didn't, I didn't catch your name. Bill. Bill. Great. Bill. Okay, let's go, Deborah, and then Bill. Hi, thank you so much. Hi, thank you so much. You just said something that I think was profound um, when you said. Hello? You did. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, this is Deborah's time. We'll catch everybody else after Bill. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Leah, it's actually Phil from New York. I recognize his voice. Oh, okay, gotcha. Hey, Phil. <laughs> I'm laughing hysterically. I'm sorry. He's he's like my best friend around here. So. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, Deborah. Talk to me. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, I just what you had said about um, works without faith is. Um, I had never heard that, and I've been absent now for a couple since August, and you know, doing well. But fear and resentment keep coming back over and over and over again. Doing the ten steps, 
doing the actions, but thinking something's something's my guts tell me something's wrong. Could you explain to me what you meant by works without faith and what step that applies to and how you jumped over that hoop? Um, okay. Well, I know I touched on it just briefly because, again, this is not about the, the Scott show. This is really about, you know, tackling the steps and really getting people to the point to see that how simple these steps really can be. Um, but the idea of works without faith, I, I was a big book expert. I learned, I went to, I have a sponsor who was sponsored by Joe, by, by Charlie from Joe and Charlie. All right. So, so I went to every Joe and Charlie show around. I did big book workshops. I did stuff with my sponsor. I did stuff out, you know, outside of, of this and that. I learned the big book. I was a big book expert. And guess what? I also stopped trusting in God and stopped you know, uh, looking, I started looking at money and I started looking at women and I started looking at just other things as higher powers, you know, and when I did that, I sort of fell off and then 9-11 happened. Um, I was personally affected by 9-11. Again, that's another conversation we can have privately. Um, I was personally affected by 9-11 um, when it happened to our country and here in New York. And um, I really lost my faith in God. And when I looked at the words, faith of that works, faith of that works, faith of that works, I'm like, I had all the works. And then my sponsor finally said to me, she goes, well, Scott, works without faith is dead too. And I was like, oh, shit, holy smokes. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I started really exploring that just the same way I explored today's workshop. Um, I really started exploring that. And that's a whole other workshop I can do, works without faith, faith of that works. And I can go into a whole litany about that. But but for, for the brevity purposes uh, to get everybody's questions in, yeah, um, I, I was a 500-pound big book expert. I was a know-it-all. And I knew every answer. I knew every page. I knew where, where this was, that was, and the other thing was. But guess what? If God wasn't in my life, nothing was happening. All my character defects were all over the place. And once I decided, once I made that decision to, to say, God, you're running the show today, got on my knees and prayed, and started letting God run the show, that's when God started coming into being. I redid some, some of my inventory work and some stuff that was, that was in between, you know, like all the relapse years, and, and really got back into connection with God and, and just carry it through today as, as, as the idea of they, they both are, are very strong. Faith without works and works without faith. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Deborah. Phil, it's your turn. Thanks so much. Hey, this is Phil, compulsive overeater over here. Hey, Scotty. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you, buddy. What's up, man? Okay, cool, man. So now we're talking about this space without works and the whole nine, but the main point is it keeps coming down to a relationship with a power greater than oneself. Now, if a lot of people are in the fear of it, and you know that there's people out there that do have faith, but not even have faith. They believe in a power greater than themselves, but they can't quite put themselves over to the point of, you know, turning their will over to that God or, you know, at least coming to some conclusions. Do you have any recommendations for people out there that might be in the fear, might be in the food, doing these things on a daily basis and wanting to get that recovery but can't because they can't push themselves from that fear situation, can't push themselves away from that table because the allure of the food, the security of the food, whatever they believe that the food represents to them while it's just food to some – it's more in my head. For me personally speaking, it would be more in my head. So what can people do to just get themselves over that hump of the fear and be able to turn their will over to that? Because there's so many different roads to faith. The Oxford group were trying to like say, you have to believe in Jesus. But the main point is, we're, this is 
2014, there's a whole bunch of different roads to leading back to God, which is that one syllable, three letters, you know. What can people do? Um, well, Phil, I know you personally can put on a clinic about that topic, but I, pre I appreciate the question. Um, the, the, the idea from, that I have is you do the steps. And you do the steps with a big book qualified sponsor. When I say big book qualified, somebody who knows the big book, somebody who, who reads and follows and is living this program, not just, not just talking this program, but living this program. When I say the program, and when the big book uses the words the program, they're talking about the 12 steps. So just like I, I became powerless in my step one and I found a power in step two and I decided to give myself to that power in step three, the action of step three is step four. So creating that spaceship that we talked about a little while ago, and for anybody coming on the phone, I'm, I know I'm sounding like a crazy man, but uh, I always sound like a crazy man, so that's okay. The building the, 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 the inventory and then using that inventory to propel us forward to figuring out what are the things that, that are blocking us from God, getting those things out of the way, and then in the meantime, having some belief that this thing can work for other people. So We Agnostics uses a lot of examples with that. We Agnostics talks about Christopher Columbus. We Agnostics talks about the Wright brothers. We Agnostics talks about Galileo. We Agnostics talks about the idea of electricity. We Agnostics talks about just a billion other things that we just automatically assume that work and, and it points out all these other things in its incredible way. Um, to to really just show us that that this stuff can can just change our lives. So if we just allow it to. So if you tell me, if you Phil tell me, well Scott, you know, you and I both wear collared shirts and we do this and we do that. Well I got this great detergent and if you go get this detergent and it'll it'll clean your ring around the collar, you won't have and you just iron the shirt, you want it to bring it to dry cleaners, you want it to do this and that and you'll be able to save money and you'll be able to get really good clean shirts. Well I'm not going to that supermarket to go buy the detergent on faith. I'm going to that supermarket on belief. And just like I'm, I'm going on the belief because it worked for you. And when I came to Overeaters Anonymous and saw that it worked for this person and that person and that person and the other person, holy smokes, guess what? If it works for them, they're not any better than I am. Yeah, you know, when I first came in, I thought they were better than I am. And then I discovered they're just a bunch of sick people just like I am. And so if this ring around the collar thing works for you, then I'm going to go buy that detergent. And guess what? After the first or second wash and I iron those shirts and it looks incredibly beautiful, I now have faith that it works. So the only way I get that faith is by me believing in this power greater than myself that, that you as my sponsor or somebody as my sponsor helped me with in finding and then do that inventory, share that inventory, become up close and personal with my character defects, ask God to remove them, um, make a list of people I've harmed, go out and help those people and start living this, these other nine steps on a daily basis through 10, 11, and 12 and helping others. That's when I start having faith that this works. And I also see that as, as good as the food might be is as much as it's killing me. You know, in the bot and I'll stop and I'll get to the next question, but on the bottom of page 13, it talks about um, common sense thus becomes uncommon sense, you know, and I won't go into a long litany about this because um, that's a whole other workshop, but the idea of common sense, it was always common sense for me to binge my head off and to really hurt myself with food. Today, common sense is to trust in God and trust in this outside source that's, that's really going to carry me through today and the next day and, and, and the year after that, a day at a time. 
So, and once I start that, that uncommon sense becomes common sense, which it eventually does, the more I'm abstinent, the more I study these steps and the more I carry this message to others, that's when stuff starts changing. So thanks for the question, dude. Thank you, Phil. Who else has a question this morning? Star one, two, unmute. And this I is Andy in the Northern Virginia Technology Corridor area. Hi, this is Kathy Kay in Boston. Okay, we have Andy, we have Kathy Kay. Anybody else like to ask a question? This is the time to do so. Okay, my question is short. This is Andy in Northern okay. Virginia Technology Corridor area. Okay, we got you, Andy. Go right ahead. Do you have a wait list for sponsorship? And if you do, how do I get on it? <laughs> Andy, thank you so much. I'm, I'm flattered. Um, believe it or not, I do. I live in a city that's incredibly vast and incredibly um, huge, uh, with amount of people sick and suffering. And you know, fortunately or unfortunately, we have over 115 meetings here in Manhattan alone. Forget about the Bronx. Forget about Westchester. Forget about the local areas. Um, I feel like it's a disservice for me to sponsor people outside of my local community. Um, and I've also tried to sponsor or worked on sponsoring with other people outside of my area, and it just hasn't worked for me. Um, so at this point, I'm not taking on any sponsees outside of the New York City area where I can't sit down with you, look you in the eye, bring you to lunch or, or have coffee with you and chit-chat or meet with you in your homes or you come to my home and, and we sit together and we do these steps together. Um, if I can't do that, then I'm just not going to uh, today. That doesn't mean that you can't call me every single day and pick my brains or talk to me and tell me not only about the negative stuff and all the stuff that, that's been challenging you, but also about all the wonderful things and all the incredible things in your life. You know, I've done a couple of these workshops and I get hit on for sponsorship all over the place. And I really have just set a hard, fast rule of no right now. Um, and it's just what my higher power wants from me. I have sponsees. I have people going through steps. I got reading with big book people. I, I don't mind reading with anybody who wants to read and we can schedule some time together and I can walk you through some pages and you can walk me through some pages. But at the same time, um, sponsorship, I look at something as very, very important and, and it's an, it's an incredible um, gift to to get from somebody and to give to somebody. And right now, um, I'm really focusing on my community for that. And uh, but on, as far as the phone lines and as far as everything else goes, uh, my number is seven one eight four four zero four seven seven six. And Alea will repeat that a few times. She texts me and and, and wakes me up in the morning. Seven one eight four four zero four seven seven six. You guys can call me, text me, do whatever. But don't just give me all the negative stuff. Don't just tell me how you want to get out of hell. Tell me what you're also doing about it. You know, I want to hear about about your solutions too. Thanks. Thank you, Andy, and I'm sure uh, <clears throat> other ideas will be presented to you at the conclusion of this recording. Kathy Kay, your turn. Thank you, Leah, for your service, um, and thanks, Scotty, so much. It was really terrific for me to hear you today. My question is about sponsorship. Um, I've been sponsoring people on the staff for uh, a couple of years now, and there's one thing that I really have difficulty with and would really appreciate hearing how you handle this, and that is... Um, uh, so on a few occasions, I've had sponsees uh, either in the middle of step four or even in step nine um, pick up the food and um, 
I just wonder how you deal with that with your sponsees. Um, the first thing, first of all, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Um, I know I sound like a broken record with that, but I'm really so grateful for, for you guys' questions and the comments and all the wonderful feedback I'm getting. Because uh, I was really nervous about today and just, I don't know. And anyway, I'm sorry, that's my own stuff. But the, the bottom line is, is when I started working the steps, I was also taught to work and live steps 10 and 11. And that's a kind of a hot point around here. A lot of people have issues either way. But guess what? You know, this is, this is my turn today. And uh, I get to talk a little bit about this. Um, you've opened up the door for that a little bit. Um, I, I look at my big book, and I was taught to read pages 84 through 88 every single day. And not that I'm working and, and practicing steps 10 and 11. However, I'm reading about them and I'm looking at ways and suggestions that the big book offers and how to live my life on a regular basis. Step 10, you know, in page 84, in the middle of the page, about the second or third paragraph down, right after the promises, you know, part of that paragraph says, we vigorously commence this way of action as we cleaned up the wreckage of our past. So it tells me that while I'm doing my ninth step work, while I'm doing my fifth step work, while I'm doing my other work, I need to be, while I'm cleaning up all this wreckage, I need to be living in this way of, uh, I need to have this way of living that's going to bring me through the rest of my life. And if you flip the page on page 86, it, it, it talks about, um, after giving these incredible promises on pages 84 and 85, and then it gives me some insight about the idea that I'm not cured of this thing. I could be recovered from it, but I'm not cured. You know, God, God has removed this from me, but only when God's in the picture. And if, if God's in the picture, then I'm not a compulsive eater anymore. I'm really not. You know, it just, I'm, I don't compulsively overeat anymore. You know, I might still be a compulsive eater, but I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in the sense that, that it's just been removed. So your sponsees going through these steps really need a way of living, it sounds like. And again, it's just my opinion, but they really, it sounds like they need a way of living that's going to help them propel themselves forward through this. So in reading 80, you know, the middle of 84, where it, where it starts with step 10 and gives it step 10 instructions, it uses the word continue four times in that paragraph and brings you all the way through page 86 and page 86 talks about um, all the different uh, questions and answers that, you know, that we can give before bed to really clean up um, all the things that we didn't clean up in step 10 every day and that we can give to God at the end of our day. And, you know, where was I selfish? Where was I afraid? Where was I um, fearful? Where was I, uh, where do I want apology, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then it gives me such incredible like insight and ideas about meditation and about prayer and just ways that I can carry myself through those days. So if I practice 10 and 11 on a regular basis while I'm living and working steps three through nine, then my life starts changing. And if somebody's picking up the food in the middle of their inventory, it means that they're not connecting with God, obviously. Um, so we need to stay on top of them and not just let them do their inventory. I connect with my sponsees doing inventory. I make, I, I make them. I, I, I strongly suggest that they get through a certain amount of it every day. We, we make, I make that into a numerical a minimum, um, depending on their lives and what they do and what they work and kids and all that stuff. But, um, I, I give them an, a, a minimum amount of work to do on a regular basis, on an everyday basis. I talk to them on a regular basis, see where they're at. I have them do their inventories. They're answering these questions on a regular basis. They're seeing where God is and isn't in their world. And when God isn't in their world, they start seeing it on a regular basis and then start realizing that God isn't there. But guess what? You better get God back there or else the food is going is to kick in. And so if 10 and 11 are worked along with the other steps, then 
then we can really get through these steps abstinently, cleanly, soberly, and, and let God start running the show. Thank you, Kathy Kay, for your question. Thank you. Thank you very much, Scotty. Anyone else with a question this morning? This is the time for questions. Star one to unmute. Hello, this is Harper. Harper, I hear Harper. Anybody else this morning with questions? Harper, you sound like you're about 500 feet away Hi. from your phone. You might want to get a little closer. Okay. Hi. Yes, who else came in? Francis. Okay. Francis. Let's start. Yes, thanks, Francis. Harper and then Francis. Go ahead. Okay. Hi, this is Harper. I just came on the phone line. I just don't even know who the speaker is, but I heard the last little bit of what you were saying that um, – to stay in 10, 11, and 12 while doing the rest of the steps. And I don't know if you're available to sponsor me. I love what you <laughs> said, and I don't know if you're an available sponsor. Uh, thank you, Harper. I actually answered that question already. Um, I, and actually, it's not 10, 11, and 12. It's just 10 and 11. Um, I, I'm a strong, strong believer in page 164 of the big book that, that talks about not not transmitting something we haven't got. And I really feel like until we've gotten through our ninth step, or at least gotten started with our ninth step, that we really haven't got everything um, that, that we need to be giving to sponsors. But I'm not sponsoring right now of pe- people outside the New York City local area that I can't like meet up with and and take through these steps privately and, and strongly. Um, but I am, available for phone, I am available for phone calls, and Leah will give you the information. Yes, indeed. Welcome, Harper. We'll give you Scott's number at the conclusion of the recording. Thanks. And Francis, your turn. Question for Scotty, please. Hit star one. Francis, you'll need to hit star one to unmute. Can you hear me now? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Sorry. My question for Scott is how, because I think what I'm inspired by is that you were in program for 23 years and then you, your recent abstinence is long, so somehow something clicked that you've kind of addressed it. But I've been in program for about seven years and have had periods of really amazing abstinence, but I'm in a relapse, and I'm just losing credibility in myself. So what do you say to somebody who's losing credibility in themselves um, and, you know, wants to have that abstinence that you that you have? Uh, well, well, anything I have is, is just something that I've worked hard for and, and is just let God control the show. Um, use the word credibility with self. Um, that, that, to me, and again, just pardon the expression, but it just sounds a lot like ego to me. And sometimes, you know, like I said, God is not so much interested in, in our comfort as in our character. And if we have a food plan and a way of sticking to it, and, you know, and then if we realize that we're picking up certain foods or, or leaning on certain foods, we need to get honest about that and really talk to our people about that. Um, and by people means our sponsors and our friends and our, our inner circle. And, and then once we become free with that, then it's a matter of just doing it. Seriously, just, just doing it. And living steps 10, 11, and 12, unless we haven't taken the steps, and then we start you know, doing the steps immediately, 
clearing away the stuff, doing an inventory every moment of every day in step 10, doing an inventory every night in step 11, and carrying this message in step 12, um, and not only carrying this message, but practicing these principles and, and helping others and doing all the things that, that the steps really dictate us to. Um, I don't really have any other answer except for just doing it. And it's a matter of being uncomfortable. Sometimes if we eat something, if we do something, it's, we're going to go through a, you know, bulimics face this all the time. You know, unfortunately I have a brother who's bulimic or had, he was bulimic. And then I have lots of people I've sponsored who are bulimic and, and currently sponsor. And I know that once you purge and once you get back into that behavior, it's really hard and really physically uncomfortable to stop because your body just wants to just release everything that it takes in. And just can do it automatically. And, to, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work to not do it. And the acid reflux and all these other things that are physical in nature. And so my sponsor has one simple rule with all of it. And it's if you don't pick it up, you don't have to put it down. And so I'll tell everybody today, no matter how discomfort, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how restless or discontented you think you are, no matter how sexy the food looks to you um, or the food behaviors look to you, it's really not worth it. You will die from this disease if you pick up. You will. You don't know if you can put it back down. You know, I know today that I do have another disease in me. I know I, I know I do. I know I can easily go across the street and get all sorts of just nonsense and bring it up here and just eat and kill myself. I don't know if I can get God back into the picture and then readjust things after that. So you know what? I'm not worth, it's not worth it to do that today. So I'm going to do everything in my power to, to, to just continue to live my life and help others. And in doing so, keep myself that much further away from the food because if God's in the picture, then the food isn't. Enough said. Thank you, Francis, for that question. Anyone else questions this morning for Scotty? Hi, this is Stacy in Cleveland. Hi, Stacy. Anybody else with a question? Jody. I didn't catch your name. Jody. Julie. Okay. Jody. Jody, thanks. Okay, Stacy, and then Jody. Good morning. Thank you so much, Scotty, for your uh, wonderful talk. I was wondering if you can do this now or once the recording stops, um, the meeting information that you go uh, program that you go to on Friday night that's uh, recorded. That would be so helpful to know. Jody, we'll get yes. that at the conclusion Great. of the Thank recording. Thank you so much. We'll give that oh. at the conclusion of the recording. Thanks, Scotty. Thank you. <laughs> you, know, you know I want to jump on that one. Of course you do, and we'll let you do just that at the conclusion of the recording. Thanks. Stacy, yeah, yeah, your yeah. turn. I actually asked the question. Thanks so much. Okay. Sorry. Jody, your turn. Jody, star one to unmute. Okay, here I am. Yeah. So I'm wondering uh, a little bit about, you talked a little bit about how how um, empty your life was when you were in the food and how your life was, you had no life, you had no self-esteem. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your life is like now? Thank you. Um, let's see. Um, 
First of all, I shared that I, I never held the hands of another person. I never kissed a girl before walking into program. Well, you know, I've kissed lots of girls since I've been in program. I've been married a couple of times. I've, I've loved, I've lost. I've, I've really had an incredible life with this. Um, and, and I'm really satisfied with the way my life is going in that regards. Um, I didn't know how to eat with a knife and a fork before coming into program. I, I really just would just, my meat was either cut for me or I would, we, we would just like, I would just eat with hands and, and feet and whatever. And I'm making the feet part up, but you know what I mean? And I was just a pig or an animal when it came to just the way I was eating. And, you know, I, I learned how to do that in program. I learned people in program would take me out and teach me how to cut my salad and teach me how to dress things and teach me how to slice food and, and teach me how to eat slowly and chew and, and really understand what hunger was and all these incredible things. Um, I never held a job for more than two or three months at a time. I always made minimum wage. Um, I, you know, I've had a recent reboot in my life with, with regards to that. You know, I've broken up with my second wife. I've had some, some challenges with work and, and with some other stuff, and I'm rebuilding some personal, um, some, some, uh, uh, I'm working for myself right now and, and beginning to build um, a career and, and a brand, um, uh, out, you know, just doing this stuff. And, and in doing so, just really have a respect and a profound, you know, respect for money and a re profound respect for professionalism and people and, and what people have, what people go through and do. So I really had nothing. And today, while, you know, in my bank account, it might not show what I had, you know, 10 years ago or whatever years ago when I was this or I was that. But, you know, to me, that's not as important as my character. And my character is super strong today. Yeah, inside I might be a scared little boy running around with certain things and certain defects and certain this and certain that. But for the most part, if I rely on God and I plug into that on a regular basis, I have something that that current is going to carry me through to where these incredible assets that I've developed in step six and seven um, I'm, I'm beginning to have them in my life on a regular basis, and all the promises are coming true. Not just the promises in 83 and 84 and 85 of the big book, but there's promises all throughout the big book, and they're really coming true in my life. So it's it just, you know, I also shared I can count on my hands the amount of people I can call and say, what's up to? And that was because of my own, you know, lack of self-esteem. Today, you know, my cup runneth over with that. I have more people in my phone that I know what to do with. I mean, it's like I, I, I kind of just leave them in my phone phone and they call me and I get to see who they are. <laughs> and it's like it's for me to like reach out to every single person who's reached out to me. And when I walk and I travel and I get sent to places to do workshops and to do retreats and to do keynote speeches. And it's like I go there and I make all these friends and it's like it's overwhelming. But at the same time. I have a, I just have a host of people in my world that I can just plug into and reach out to and just let them carry me if I need carrying. And that's just the incredible thing um, that, that Overeas Anonymous has taught me. And of course, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has taught all of us. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Bobby. Anyone else with a question? This is the opportunity. This is the time and the opportunity to ask questions on the line right now. Hi, this is Phoebe calling from Vermont. I have a question. Phoebe, good morning. Anyone else? Mm -hmm. Questions for Scotty? Okay, Phoebe, go ahead. Thank you. Um, Scotty, thank you so much for your presentation. It's been very wonderful to hear. I've made lots of notes. Something that you just said to me, uh, not to me, but to all of us, 
really just struck me, which is um, you talked about how you have a lot of people who can carry you now. Um, so that would indicate to me that um, you felt pretty isolated before. So um, tell, can you just share a little bit about how you moved um, out of isolation into that place of having lots of people that could hold you up? Um, I have lots of friends. I have a wonderful big family. But in this disease, I feel incredibly isolated. Um, and I think that your experience and wisdom would be very helpful. Thank you. Sure. Um, let's see. Uh, the best way I can explain it was when I came into program or I came out of relapse, you know, when I was eight years old and first discovered food and, and discovered what food can do for me as opposed to what it can do to me, um, or I discovered what food could do to me instead of just for me, um, I, I was kind of living life on, on zero, and, and that food brought me up to positive 10. Well, if you look at the whole chart, it goes from positive 10 down to negative 10, right? And zero's in the middle. So by the time I came into program, I was kind of living life. I mean, I was living, when I was eight years old and I first picked up, I was living life on zero and it brought me up to positive nine or 10 or whatever it was. When I first came into program, I was down to negative eight and needed to eat just to bring myself up to zero, if that makes sense. So what I did was I relied on the people of this program and the people who I trusted and the people who I loved and these people to carry me through this program and, and carry me through my life. And if, these, if this stuff worked for all these other people, then it's going to work for me. And the other thing that differentiates OA people, or not necessarily OA people, but my, my friends in program and the people who I trust in my inner circle, is that I can be honest about anything and they will still love me. I, you know, it's just, I'm not even going to give examples. You get it. I'm sure you get it. Any sick person, any, any sad person, anybody who's just miserable gets it. And what there is to get is the idea that, that inside the heart of every sick and suffering compulsive overeater is somebody who's dishonest with themselves and with the, when, with the rest of the world. And when I, when it came time for me to be honest, that's when everything started changing. So I, ne I couldn't necessarily be honest about all the stuff I was feeling and doing and everything with my family, with some of my friends, certainly not with work people, um, even not with some of the, the women who I choose to, you know, chose to marry um, because they just didn't understand the, the idea of a sick and suffering addict. Well, that's changed in my life because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm changing. I now trust in people and allow other people in my life and only have people in my life who can do that for me. You know, if you're a business associate of mine, fine. I'm not going to go tell you about this and that and the other thing. But for the most part, any friend that I bring into my life is usually in some sort of program or understands the idea of it. Unless they're just not going to be a friend in my world. I'm just not going to allow them to be in my world because I have so many other incredible people that are. So um, that's just really the best way to explain it. Um, our fellowship is made up of some incredible people. And another pitch that I'll give is that if you're in an area and you go to a Vision for You meeting every morning and you're getting some strong recovery and you have a sponsor from, from another area and that you're working your program and, and, and calling yourself recovered and are recovered in the sense that, that God has just taken away the food noise and, and living your life, it's your opportunity and your, your job 
to go give back. In my opinion, it's your job to go give back. Go to your local meetings. That might be a bad meeting. It just might be, and I hate to use the word bad because that's a judgment, but guess what? There, there's, just, there's just no recovery spoken at, those, at some of those meetings. And if they didn't read the steps and, and maybe the traditions or maybe the promises here or there, I, I would think I'm in some sort of group therapy somewhere. So it's up to us to go and carry the message because that's how we're going to find the people who are going to, who we're going to be able to help, who we're going to be able to help recover and, and get them to the point where they can help others. And that's the only way it's going to work. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Phoebe, for your question. Anyone else with a question this morning? This is the time for questions. Once the recording has concluded due to technical reasons, we will not be able to take questions at this point, that point. So please, questions now, star one to unmute. This is Sarah from Florida. Sarah, go ahead. Sarah, go ahead. Well, um, thank you, uh, thank you, Leah, and thank you, Scotty. Um, Scotty, it's nice to hear your fast New York voice. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's uh, I like the fast New York. You know, it makes me very grateful to be in South Florida. <laughs> and uh, I have to even write down what you say when you say it because it's so fast I have a hard time processing it. And I would love, I really loved what you were saying about the fourth step and the closet, you know, and about how, um, how, how there's stuff up in the back that you don't even see uh, that you forgot. I mean... <sighs> I don't know what it takes to get that that stuff out of the back of the closet, Scott. You know, I uh, can you talk about that a little? Um, it's, um, it's, 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 let's, see. let's see. If you go, if you go can you mute yourself? You, you I'm you hearing a lot of echo on my phone. On your phone. Sorry. Can you mute yourself and I'll answer the question? Okay. Um, I'm just hearing a lot of echo. So, all right. The best way I can explain that is if you open up the big book, the big book and and read and pages, pages, the bottom of the 63 bottom of through 67, I'm sorry, through six, 63 through 71, it's, it's your inventory right there. You can go online and you can Google fourth step inventory and get a billion different inventories that you could find. I'm a big fan of Joe and Charlie, so I'll give a plug for the Joe and Charlie inventories. You can just go online, do Joe and Charlie fourth step or Joe and Charlie step study. And you'll get a 13-page document, which includes inventory sheets for resentments, fears, sex harms, and harms to others. And that's what I use. And that's the way to get through the closet. Um, the way to get through the closet is to discuss what our resentments are, um, what our fears are, what our sexual harms are, what our harms to others are. And in those columns that, that are there, it talks about you know how it affects my personal relations, my self-esteem, my sexual relations, my, my goals in life, my ambitions. And then what role did I play? Where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, frightened, inconsiderate, et cetera? And in doing so, it, it really opens up that quote-unquote closet um, and gets everything out, gets everything laid down and looked at and, and just inventoried so that we can go into step five and talk about the exact nature of our wrongs. Because step four isn't asking me to discuss the exact nature. Step four is just asking me to do the inventory. Step five is telling me to get into the exact nature. 
And step five says wrongs, step six says defects, and step seven says shortcomings. So it's all the same stuff. It's all the things that are blocking us from God. And once we figure out those things that are blocking us from God, because all the fourth step inventory is, it's a tool. Just like I called it my spaceship, it's a tool. It's a tool that's going to get us to the point where we can figure out what's blocking us from God, get those things out of the way, talk to God, and clean house, and, and go help others. Enough said. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you to everyone who asked questions this morning, Becca, Jean, Tony, Deborah, Phil, Andy, Kathy, Stacy, Jody, Phoebe, Sarah. We thank you for the questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Scotty K., for your generosity with your time and sharing your fascinating insights with us this morning. And I'm going to close the meeting in the way we always close our meetings here on A Vision for You, and that's from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.